0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Terbish.
1: Welcome back from the break. I'm Christian Tervish, and this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Today we're talking about making beer, the brewing industry. In the first half of the show, I talked to Trevor Prischett, the CEO of Yachts Brewing, a craft brewery here in Philadelphia. And it's now my great pleasure to welcome Kenny Annan, the chief growth officer for Molson Coors, the company that produces brands like Coors, Blue Moon, Miller's Light, and many more. Welcome, Kenny. Hi there. Kenny, you worked at Coca-Cola, now you're at Molson Coors. What is the difference between those two type of companies? Uh, how would you compare those jobs?
0: Uh, you know, in, in one... Similar, they're both in beverages and beverages that uh, the people drink to um, to socialize, to feel kind of um, happy about themselves. But on the other hand, uh, of course, there's a big difference between the two. Uh, Coca-Cola is is, um, is in 200 countries across the world. It's um, it's a business that's um, much bigger in terms of scale and size. And uh, Molson Coors is, has, still has a family culture and a family heart at its base, even though it's a public limited company, it's relatively smaller, and it's very focused in of you know, developed world. So when I joined Molson Coors, my, my role was to expand Molson Coors into new geographies and getting into new places. So it's a little bit more of a, a startup culture at least in the international piece but in general it's it's a culture that allows for more experimentation risk and one of our values is challenge the expected and take smart risks and I think uh, most and course lives that
1: so speaking about uh, scale, when I talked to Trevor Prichett from Yards Brewing in the first half of the show, that's a small brewery making 50,000 barrels of craft beer a year. Uh, can you give our audience a sense of the scale of you guys? I mean, we're not talking uh, tens of thousands here, right?
0: No, Molson Coors' uh, turnover last year was $11 billion. Uh, but yes, It's you know, one of the top biggest brewers in the world. It's, uh, in terms of um, size, it's yeah, I'm rounding off about 100 billion hectoliters, 100 million hectoliters. So, so, yes, it is it is a large brewing business. Its scale, however, as I said, is concentrated very much in uh, Canada, U.S., U.K., and now several Central, America, Central European markets.
1: Now, what is unique about Coca-Cola, I guess, is that when you're selling Coca-Cola in Germany, you're basically using the water there. You just ship the concentrate and you bottle it locally. Uh, when you're, you're you're shipping internationally, uh, does it mean that you're brewing internationally or do you typically brew in North America and ship the, the beer?
0: It's a combination, depending on the country and depending on how far it is, um, that in some cases we would use a local uh, brewing facility and make sure our East, our quality, our kind of all well, our case profiles are matched exactly. Uh, but in other instances, we would ship from the US. An example of this would be so, for example, we sell a fair amount of Miller Genuine Draft in Argentina, and that's brought locally because it's very, very difficult to ship and keep your of high quality that far. But on the other hand, in Panama, which is less than a week's shipping from the U.S., it's easier to just ship from here.
1: There's a famous supply chain simulation that many MBA students play at business schools. It's called the Beer Game. Have you ever played that?
0: Yes, I have uh, played that.
1: Tell us about your supply chain.
0: Well, our supply chain, um, you know, very much, you know, it's a classic supply chain, so we obviously have suppliers, suppliers of... um, in our case, the big suppliers happen to be barley, packaging materials, and hops. And um, because beer is a high bulk item, right? It's got four to five percent alcohol. The rest of it is a liquid. It's it's water. So shipping it over any length and distance is expensive. And therefore, it makes more sense to create Kind of a limited, relatively limited um, footprint of breweries and ship it within those footprints. Otherwise, the, the cost of supply chain becomes very high. On the other hand, setting up a brewery is very capital intensive because it's, you know, got to, it's, a, it's a big operation. You've got brewery, you've got packaging halls, you've got you know, lots of other kind of ancillary things you've got to do along with it. So that's the trade-off we do between capital investment, cost of distribution,
1: and source of supplier in mm-hmm. terms of our modeling on how we do the supply chain. So you mentioned the the cost of distribution and how it grows with, with distance. Uh, how important is proximity to the market when it comes to dealing with demand uncertainties? Is is beer consumption a reasonably stable uh, demand curve? I mean, that is in many ways a whole element of the beer game, for those of you who have not played it, is is, is an element of chasing demand and the brewery being far away with long lead times. Uh, How important are those effects for you guys? Um, As far as we're concerned, I think um, if you look at a
0: macro level, overall beer demand is, you know, predictable within, I think, pretty tight bonds There are, of course, variations year-to-year based on uh, extraneous factors so like economy or weather. But broadly speaking, it's overall level predictable. The challenge always is SKUs and brands and regions within that. that, that you have to be agile in your supply chain. You do need enough flexibility to be agile in your supply chain because those do have much higher volatility, and variability in terms of um, demand.
1: Before we go on to innovation, uh, we talked about the supply chain. Talk a little bit about the brewing process itself and the main operational challenges there.
0: You know, the brewing process, unlike, and this is a good contrast versus Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, as you know, is a formula, right? You add A, B, C, D, and, and you get Coca-Cola in the end. It's a fixed Absolutely fixed everything. Beer is more like uh, making food. It's a recipe. So you have a recipe with which you brew beer. And there are variabilities. They're variable because you're getting organic ingredients, barley, hops. You have a live ingredient, yeast, and things like each batch to batch and how it creates. So there's science and art in brewing. So the real operation challenge of brewing is having both a very standardized, computer controlled, operational efficient brewery, but also having brewers who are able to during the process uh, taste and adjust
1: to make sure we get the end product the same for the consumers. That's really interesting, this element of the variability and the control here. I remember this summer was a very hot summer in Europe and uh, the wines uh people predict coming out very differently uh is the weather impacting the kind of the, the hops the barley in a way that your brewmasters have to adjust the recipe if you will Well it's, it's less than less compared to wine
0: because of the sugar production and in, in grapes changes because of the of the summer as you mentioned in the case of um, beer I think it's just crop to crop and region to region, right? And barley tends to be a little more stable if you get it from the same region. So, for example, on Coors Banquet, we only use high country barley of a particular spec. So long as you're buying it from high country, it tends to be more stable. But hops uh, are a little more because they're aromatic. Uh, will have a little more variation based on both weather and region. And as I said, how... East because it's generational, right? Because East is something that's generating itself. It's like, you know, I don't know, whatever thousandth generation of East you're using because so you're regenerating um, will also react slightly differently. So that That's that's where the bit of art comes in. I mean, we've standardized many of these things a lot through experience, through learning, through creating kind of strong processes. Uh, so, I just want to make sure I'm not kind of overplaying this variance, but there is definitely more, art, a little bit more art, and a little bit more of the kind of a recipe element than a strict process element, which you could do
1: with something like Coca-Cola. If I think about your product line with with Blue Moon, you have uh, more of a premium beer. Uh, some of the course brands strike me more like a mainstream beer. What are the differences in production and production costs? Because in the retail settings as a consumer, it seems to me that the difference is almost like a 100% difference in terms of price between uh, six bottles of Coors versus six bottles of Blue Moon.
0: Um, I don't think it's 100%, but, yes, it is such a premium. Um, I think the cost of production varies because of two things. One is, of course, ingredient costs. Uh, the you know you're buying a lot of ingredients for Coarse Light, and the cost of that is different than buying more limited ingredients which are specific for Blue Moon. Now, specifically, Blue Moon has um, not in addition to barley, it's called wheat, it's a wheat beer. It's got uh, orange peels that are a specific orange peel. It's got coriander to give it that herbal feel. Which is a specific coriander, and which is not doesn't have chemical residues on it, etc. So yes, yeah, so those things add. Also, the cost of small batch production versus big batch production, as you know,
1: um, is different, and that's the other reason why the cost goes up. Interesting. So beer, I'm thinking about beer as a product that has been around for a very long time, I guess. uh, Anthropologists have traced this back for thousands of years, people have been drinking beer. Um, But in the last uh, few decades, in the U.S. in particular, it seems to me that there's been a lot of change in the brewing market. So what, exp- what explains the recent changes that we've been seeing with big mergers, new brands coming up, much more variety in the U.S. now than maybe 30 years ago? What do you, explain- what do you think explains this change in industry structure?
0: Well, the change in industry, you're right. Firstly, beer is, is an extremely old product. I remember uh, going to the Egyptian National Museum in Cairo, and one of the first exhibits is a 5,000-year-old exhibit on making beer. So it is a very, you know, kind of old and a very natural product that's been done for a long time. I think a lot of the changes happen because of consumers. And definitely the changes you're seeing in the U.S., and by the way, this is seen elsewhere in the world, is very much related to the changes we are seeing among consumers. And these are trends uh, that we see in both in. Millennials, younger, you know, younger legal drinking age consumers, but also across the population, and these are things like uh, need for more well-being, need for more local and authentic connections, in the in when there is high level of digital social media, a lot more experiential currency, which kind of leads to more things like drinking in in a brew pub, um, digital itself. Uh, you know as a as a means of uh, experiencing um and also um, a need for variety a need for kind of so part of identity um used to be just kind of well famous brands that everybody drinks, and part of identity is always differences and I think the trends that you do see is an increased focus on you know being able to have your choice, which is not something mass people drink. These are trends that are that are there not just in beer, but in multiple consumer products. Which is why we see on multiple consumer products whether it's from well-being, natural, organic, whether it's local you know, trends, whether it's more experiential. That these are all affecting consumer product companies, and we all are working on the right strategies to ensure
1: we can win in this new world in case you're just tuning in you're listening to work of tomorrow here on business radio i'm your host christian tavish and i have the pleasure of chatting with candy anand who is the chief growth officer of molson course which is a company that produces brands like coors blue moons miller Lite, and many other good beers and uh Kenny, you made a really interesting comment that made me realize that when it comes to my diet Coke, and I have the bad habit of having way too many of the cans of diet Coke each day, but when it comes to my Coke, I always want to have that Coke. I mean, there's just absolutely no wiggle room for me. But when it comes to beer, I kind of like the experimentation and the variety. Um, why Why is that, do you think? Um, well, firstly, I think beer
0: affords a lot more ability because of you know the ability to be more creative in the formulations in terms of tastes flavors um, and I think of late we have seen that creativity come into the industry that allows people uh, that level of differences but if you take soft drinks while you may always want to coke for a particular occasion, but I mean. Coca-Cola is facing the same challenge, right? You just have to go to the soft drink markets to see the number of kombuchas and number of other drinks that are there now that are all, you know, people are drinking in different occasions and different times.
1: It strikes Um, me as very interesting to think about soft drinks or breweries. Both of them have a very low barrier to entry in the sense that all it takes for you and I could uh, cook up or make up a new soft drink or be a, probably uh, at, at your or my house tonight, versus in other industries, uh, if I think about electric cars or airplanes or other big systems, it takes thousands of people working together to create something. So so your industry has basically a permanent inflow of new ideas and new product concepts. How, has, has that kind of made it to the consumer, or how, how is that innovation changing, how you manage innovation within the company?
0: Uh, certainly, I think it, is, um, it has a big impact on the way we think about innovation in our company. And, and you're right. I think it's uh, because of um, the, the only barrier to entry is creating great consumer connections for our brands, our products and building fantastic relationship with the customers. So, which is why our ambition as a company is to be first choice for our consumers and customers and do where that takes us. So in terms of our innovation thinking, we divide innovations into uh, three horizons, horizons one, two, and three, in terms of kind of both scale of impact and time it takes to uh, create to market so Horizon 1 are things that are quick cycle. We are able to get into the market within a year, 18 months, and are, in terms of degree of innovation, relatively easy. Um, our brewers are brewing new beers, or we come up with new flavors, or we come up with new you know, packaging type. These are things we do in Horizon 1. In Horizon 2, we're trying to address uh, things that take a little bit longer. Uh, So when we move from, let's say, um, from alcoholic beer to a non-alcoholic beer, and we we move from um, non-alcoholic beer to a flavored um, malt beverage. So these are things that take a little bit longer, but uh, that's what we call Horizon 2. And other than three are things that take us a l- even longer and we have more technology behind it. There is more competitive advantage and more barriers to entry there. So, they may, barriers to entry may come from either fast moving or they may come up from actual technology.
1: So, so thinking, across, with- is thinking across these three horizons, they must have uh, very different failure rates, right, in the sense of when you're working going from a, a six-pack to a 12-pack, the likelihood of getting that transition right is, must be much bigger compared to launching in Horizon 2, uh, a non-alcoholic drink and a major new product addition. Can you talk a little bit across these failure rates uh, across the three Horizons?
0: Yeah, uh, we, see, uh, we measure two things um, here. One is the failure, what is the kind of success rate of this, and this versus our plan, and the second is degree of incrementality. Right, so what happens is the degree of incrementality is low, generally speaking, right? There are always exceptions to this rule, and the degree of kind of confidence is high in horizon one, and as you go to horizon three, your degree of incrementality is very high, but you've got to be more cautious, and you've got to go through more steps to make sure that because your risk is higher. that's the two axes that we look at, which is confidence of success
1: and degree of incrementality. And when you think across uh, the three horizons, would you share something with us that you would be working on right now in Horizon Three as the kind of the least incremental, the, the kind of the biggest far thing out in in brewing? What is Horizon Three looking like at a cutting edge company well, like you? The
0: most incremental. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you um, an example, which is public, I can share with you, um, we, are, we, have found, we have a technology that's proprietary and owned by us that is able to brew beer with all the complexities that we spoke about earlier, but then we make it a high-gravity concentrated beer. In other words, we are able to have everything that's great about the beer but without 80% of the water. We can then ship that beer, obviously, A, because alcohol itself is a kind of protects the beer better, and B, because it's now much lighter across much greater distances, at both environmentally far more friendly and at lower cost. And we have now, in our proprietary technology, able to rehydrate re- uh,
1: that beer exactly the same way as it would have been uh, in a brewery. Interesting, would that rehydration be done at the consumer level, or would it be done like Coca-Cola in a bottling plant on site? So all of that are possibilities, so this is
0: very early, early uh, stage of that technology. You could do it at uh, three levels. You could do it in a bottling plant if you're doing it as a supply chain solution, right? You could do it in a customer um, as in, you know, if you're looking at it as a draft solution. So instead of the current, if you've ever seen a keg room in a bar, you can see how much effort, how much cooling, and how much of a chaos that is in lifting all those heavy kegs. But instead, if you had extremely light micro-crags, which are uh, digitally enabled, so it can be done at a customer level, or ultimately it can even be done at a consumer level. All right, But it's early stage in this technology. Uh, right now, our uh, what we have made public is the customer level. We are... We are in the market, and pilot customers in Canada uh, this technology so so we are sending them these micro kegs, and they are able to serve as normal
1: draught interesting can, can you, you said something which I found was very insightful that is that while you are selling a liquid in a bottle, there is also like a social experience of, of of bringing people together the modern times when people are thinking about expressing themselves and seeking variety. Um, do you also invest in digital technologies to try to have a stronger connectivity to your consumers other than just the connectivity that you have when your consumer goes to a retailer that is served by you?
0: Absolutely. Uh, that's one of our big, big thrusts now. Uh, clearly, um, our consumers, as I mentioned, is one of the trends our consumers are clearly changing, both in terms of how they experience. The peer, but also in terms of the way indulgent indulge in commerce with our beers. so so we we have a big focus on um, setting up a far more personalized marketing to create the right experience for the right consumers. So if we can you know and, and in fact, at the right time in the right place. So as you know, with today's technology, with mobile technology, yeah, it is far easier to be able to provide um, different consumers with different experiences of the way the brand comes to life digitally. But you can also do it based on where they are uh, and when they are, when when you're interacting with them. On the other side of that coin is e-commerce. Right? Beer has not been on the forefront of it. It's it's tough to. Um, to ship, but it's also the educating that's really, really important in e-commerce, but increasingly, these are being solved, and starting with B2B, which is how we sell to our customers, and then eventually, through them to our consumers, uh, I think we, we will see an increasing shift towards e-commerce, which along with the kind of ability to personalize our messaging and our communication will create
1: a completely new experience, um, you know, in the coming future. Thank you so much, Kenian and the Chief Growth Officer for Molson Coors. We've reached the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School here on SiriusXM. If you want to have access to some of the older episodes, check out our website, workoftomorrow.com. At this point, let me thank our sound expert, Danielle Bruno, and my producer, Matt Datz, for their wonderful support. We hope you can join us again this coming Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. I'm Christian Tebysh, and on behalf of all of us here at the Wharton School, thank you for listening. For more
0: guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.